0: Diving into data. Diving, di- diving. D- d- data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Diving into Data. I am your host, TC Riley. How are we doing out there? It's been a while, folks. For those of you who are avid listeners of the show, we thank you and uh, apologize that we've had a little bit of a break here. Um, just some personal stuff going on and some stuff with our company. Uh, been a busy month and a half or so, so we had to take a little bit off, um, focus on some other items, and uh, but we're back in to dive into some data. We haven't dove in in a while, so I'm ready for it. What we're going to be talking about today to bring our show back here is is one of the most interesting articles um, I think I've ever read, um, and it relates to AI. And specifically, what we're going to be talking about today is the word of machine effect. Word of machine effect, what the heck does that mean, TC? I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I'm glad you asked, random listener. What we're really talking about today, uh, let me give you a tiny bit of background about where this comes from. This was a study done by the American Marketing Association. Um, I actually found it through a great summary article that was written in Harvard Business Review. Definitely recommend checking that out. Um, you get some free articles if you're not a subscriber, but encourage you to subscribe to it on great, great publication. And generally, what what this boils down to is why and when do people trust AI, artificial intelligence more than humans? And specifically, that's where the word of machine comes from, and when do people trust the word of machine? Over the word of mouth or the human answer. It's a very, very interesting subject to me. So we're going to dive in. So sit back, relax, grab a drink if you choose to do so. Let's dive in some data. All righty. So word of machine effect and word of machine and what we're talking about again, at the highest level, it's When do people trust AI versus when do people trust humans? And the reason this is so fascinating to me is for those of you who have ever listened to the show before, I haven't necessarily specifically done this topic comparing people trusting AI versus trusting uh, people. However, we've probably covered this from a different, slightly different angle and a different scope a dozen times at this point. And the one I more commonly reference is when do you trust data and when do you trust instinct or trust your gut? That's something we've discussed over and over and over um, about why it's important to do both, why it's uh, something that's uh, you need to be very cognizant of, and the bias involved in this throughout the process, but. This article specifically, they, they did this awesome research around this. They didn't just write about it um, or you know chat about it on a podcast like I'm doing. They did actually a really cool research study. I'll get into a little bit of the methodology, but um, more importantly was this concept. Um, I hadn't really heard of this again, word of machine and what it comes down to. And when we take a step back, um, it's worth noting, kind of thinking about the fact that rapid AI development has really taken over in the last, uh, I don't know, decade or so, at least if not longer, um, especially in the last couple of years, it has really taken off and is on an exponential growth trajectory. And what that has done is it's opened up tons of new possibilities for businesses. Many companies want to, or at least, uh, are, pardon me, or at least want to embrace that, uh, Artificial intelligence technology, some of the capabilities of artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, things like that. But something uh, we've talked in the past also about the challenges of companies diving into this, what they're hesitant about, um, why there isn't maybe more functional adoption. There's more theoretical or kind of talk it up and it sounds really cool adoption than there is true adoption in companies. But we didn't, we don't ever really get past that in our previous conversation. So today it's, but how much do they trust it? So not only are we talking about um, developing and implementing, again, using those old episodes where I've talked about um, why you should care about data, why you should care about machine learning, why you should care about AI, why you should implement these things. And we're, then we're going a step further and saying, and okay, you've overcome that you know obstacle, you've overcome that um, hill to get people to care about it and value it and acknowledge it, but how much do they really trust it? And it's different because... Uh, even though it's a different battle than getting the person who doesn't really care about the numbers or care about analytics or care about data to care about those, it's a very similar battle. um, If again, slightly different, I would almost compare it to um, a, it is a bigger leap to get someone who doesn't care about data at all to care about data than it is to get someone to care about AI. However, you have to go further because it has to be someone who's already been convinced to care about data and to care about uh, the technology surrounding data and analytics. And I would venture that you have to fight that fight. And then when you're successful, you kind of have to move into this okay, well now I need you to trust AI. So it's a slippery soap and I understand why it'd be very difficult out there and why I think it's so cool that they did this study and looked at this and tried to break it down and make it more scientific to give those of us like me and you out there advice on, maybe even some background on what those biases are, how people feel about it, and then give you some solutions and um, opportunities to overcome that and fight that bias. Um, and so again, we've talked, there's an inherent bias against data, there's an inherent bias against AI because of that inherent bias against data that you maybe have to come uh, overcome with a more traditional mindset, we'll say in the business sense. But far more people, frankly, just don't understand AI. I would venture that at this point, 90% of people um, in the business world have a pretty good, solid, fundamental understanding of analytics. I would say about 10% have a good, strong, fundamental understanding of AI. And that's okay. Again, it's an emerging technology. It's something new. But There are frankly still people out there when you say AI, the first thing that comes to mind is Skynet is Terminator is, and and I'm kind of talking tongue in cheek there and joking, but I'm also kind of not because there are a lot of people, even people in incredibly important decision-making roles at very large corporations who have no concept of what AI really is. We're not going to dive too, too deep into that hole, but we are going to at least touch on it. And it's important. I want to call out that when we're talking about using AI in companies, this is not just um, a very niche thing that these incredibly high tech, you know, forward thinking tech companies are doing. No, AI is kind of everywhere now, folks. Um, it's used from sm- in small companies, of course. It's used in the Amazons and Netflixes of the world, but it's also used even in the, like the public sector. Is kind of bled into um, an example that they cite in this article was the New York City Department of Social Services is now using AI to recommend disability benefits, food assistance, and other items to their populace. So a- they're actually able to use AI to. target target people who maybe should be using these services or theoretically would qualify for these services based on these other conditions, but they aren't taking advantage of them. So it's actually, you can kind of view it as a humanitarian effort or as a uh, more effective management in the public sector. And I think it's important to note that when the government is adopting a technology and a capability like this, um, that should be assigned to any companies that maybe are holding out out there that they need to get with it. Bureaucracy, red tape, some of the things that go into that typically make it more difficult um, for quick adoption and quick absorption of new technologies and capabilities. So if we're able to do that from a public sector in the New York City um, Department of Social Services is able to do it, you are too. All right, so again, AI is out there. AI is used by everyone, but there's this inherent: can you trust it? Can you trust the word of machine? Again, to use that term that they coined here, and what their experiment looked at, um, again, this was the American Marketing Association who actually did this study. I'm referencing Harvard Business for you, where they did a write up of it, but it was the American Marketing Association who actually ran this. So thanks to them for that. Um, and the, what they kind of compared is the hedonic versus the utilitarian consumption of this. What the heck does that mean? Utilitarian just simply means functional. So they're looking at functional traits and compared to the hedonic ones, which are more experiential, more sensory, they're not as tangible, they're not as strict. Um, and what their methodology was, was actually through these experiments was actually going out. And I think they ever said they ran this in a pre COVID world. So they had a little bit more access to the quote unquote general public. Um, but they ran these experiments on people and they pretty much were boiled down to giving people two choices where they said, here's what AI recommends and here's what a human recommends. Which one do you prefer? It's a very, very simple kind of a brilliant experiment in a way because it's so straightforward and it really is kind of boiling down this word of machine, word of mouth component. And some of the things that they were able to do. Um, through this were initially what they observed is that it really depends on what you're asking. For how people would respond, are they going to trust AI? Are they going to trust humans? Well, what are we talking about? That was the biggest component, and what I mean by that is those more utilitarian, the things that are more functional. You could almost think of them as more programmatic, more mathematic. Um, people trusted AI, and that's very, very logical. Um, if you're going to trust a technology, you're going to do it with something that you deem to not have a lot of external factors to be a more um, we'll call it more linear algebra than you know differential equations or anything like that. It's a pretty straightforward process and you're going to trust that the computer has the computing, um, technical, mathematical abilities to make the best selection when it is simply utilitarian items like that. Uh, and that, that makes total sense why people would kind of, if they are those basic things, why they trust AI more. On the other side, the more hedonic ones, the ones that are more, um, again, uh, they're experiential, they're sensory, they're not necessarily, uh, going back to differential equations, it's not linear algebra, it's not very straightforward, it's, there are these external factors, there are personal um, biases that get played into it. In those situations, people were far more likely to trust the human output, um, the human recommendation. And again, this shouldn't shock anyone if you really step back and think about it. You're trusting the machine for things that we generally think machines are good at, and we're trusting humans for things we generally think humans are good at. Okay, so that's a cool finding, but we got to go further here because there's got to be more. And the other thing I will mention here is that It's not that you can't cross these over. It's not like there. You couldn't find experiments where this wouldn't be the case. It's just frankly human nature that people are going to lean this way and with the more utilitarian go with the AI um, and not when it's not. However, that's not all the cases because they gave a couple of great examples uh, of how AI is used in some of these more experiential sensory type things. Um, AI is used for flower selection, 1-800-Flowers. When you log into 1-800-Flowers, everything you're seeing is based on AI, what they know about you, um, other recommendations. Things like flowers are incredibly, uh, again, sensory. Uh, it's the colors and you know size of flowers. And uh, I'm not a big flowers guy, as you can probably tell from this terrible explanation. But there's a, you can understand there's a lot of sensory components there, yet AI is able to take that and still give very useful, accurate recommendations to people. Another one is McCormick, giant food conglomerate. Um, For a lot of their new flavors, they actually use AI to develop. I've seen a number of cool breweries that are doing this too, using AI to test different new flavors of beer and stuff like that. Um, And so there is that bleed over there. Um, That is worth noting again, even though people generally trust one bucket or another, please don't take this to mean that AI is only useful in those incredibly utilitarian situations. No, it can be useful anywhere. It's just that the inherent human bias that you're going to see and what you're going to see from users in terms of um, do they trust the word of machine or do they trust the word of mouth is going to be tied to those. So with this convincing experiment, um, what they were able to do um, is show that um, these things are very, very simple and very, very straightforward. They fall in these buckets, but you can also influence it. It's not simply that every single time it's going to be over here, every time it's going to be over here. They were actually able to, through these experiments, from the initial results, they said, hmm, okay, so we're seeing this. Can we influence this experiment? Can we change some of that perception? And what they did is when they were presenting this, they really encouraged and challenged people to think about the other viewpoint. And what I mean by that is, they said that yes, you know, if we're doing this study of, I think it was like a hair care products they were talking about, um, people might naturally immediately go to the more human sensory type things um, instead of the more utilitarian ones. But they really challenge people, they educate them a little bit on what the AI was doing, and challenge them to think about it from the other way. And what they saw when they did that, it wasn't that when they challenged people, the you know the uh, ratios flipped. It wasn't eighty percent over here and now it's eighty percent over here. But when they challenge people to really think think about it and consider it, they actually, it kind of, they brought them both to the mean is the best way I can say it, it brought it to more 50, 50 decisions. Um, which also, again, makes sense that if you are, your natural instinct might be, again, if I say, is a human or a machine going to be better at telling me what the next best flavor of, you know, let's say Lay's potato chip is going to be. Well, of course your initial instinct is going to be, uh, the well, a person is a machine doesn't taste a chip and tell you that that's good or bad. No humans are going to tell you that. But if I tell you, well, but really think about the fact that every one of these flavors is actually just a, you know, almost a composite, a of bunch of different variables of flavors within a chip. And Lay's has done thousands of different chip flavors throughout the years. They've done, um, obviously, you know, all the staples and they've always, you see these little uh, uh, one-offs that they're trying uh, biscuits and gravy was out a few years ago. I thought that was amazing. I don't know why that's a little side note, but when you think about the fact that, okay, you actually have tons of data from what people have liked, from sales data based on these flavor profiles. What different combinations of flavors did and did not work well together? Um, it, you start to think, well, okay, actually, you know what? No, maybe there is a little bit more of a formula here. Okay, now I'm a little bit more on the fence. Do I trust the human who, at the end of the day, is going to be able to taste that, you know, end result chip and give feedback, or am I going to trust the machine that? actually knows what every Lay's potato chip looks like, at least in some computational way, and is going to be able to tell me the best one. So it's really hard to do this with real consumers, it's worth noting. Um, Even though it's nice in a little thought experiment like this, I'm talking about chip flavors, it's much easier to do it here than it is with a real consumer where um, when you're asking, again, if I were actually standing at the checkout line of a grocery store and telling pick product A or pick product B, machine or human, it's going to be a lot harder to get someone to, with their own dollars, really think about the other viewpoint. They're probably going to you know, lean with those biases, but if you're able to do that, it does not mean that um, you should give up on trying to utilize this AI and get people to consider the alternative viewpoints. It simply means that you should be aware of what this experiment found. You should be aware of the biases. Again, the result I would almost sum up as it doesn't mean only use AI for utilitarian purposes. It just simply means that you have to consider the natural biases for these things. And if you're doing something more experiential, be aware that people are probably going to lean more the human way. If you're doing things more computational, functional, utilitarian, people are probably going to lean more towards the AI and the um, computing. But It just has to be considered. It's not good. It's not bad. It's a fact of life. And so often we talk about bias. That's what it is, is it's not necessarily good or bad. You want to avoid it because it just is. Bias is natural. Bias is what humans do. We just are flawed creatures. It is what it is, but that's okay. As long as we consider it, we account for it. We mediate that risk however we possibly can. Um, And so what I want to sum up this section really talking with you guys about um, is how you think about this and then you can apply this again, not only to AI and whether people trust this word of machine or word of mouth, but you can apply it to many different parts of utilizing data in your business in any way. And the first is that whenever you educate people, you're all better off. That's so, so important. When it comes to data, the value of data, what this data truly means, what you should do with this data, that is so much more valuable than the most complex function or report or algorithm or formula or whatever you've been able to do. It matters so much more that you've taught someone why they should care about this and what they should do. So whether we're dealing with AI, whether we're dealing with bias, you have to educate people on what it really is, that it's there and what the other options are. The second thing is Be aware of bias. I've mentioned this already a couple of times, but you have to be aware of bias. It does not mean you can always eliminate it. You want to try to mitigate it if possible. Sometimes you can't even do that. Sometimes it's just an inherent, um, you know, a, a stable factor in your experiment that you have no control over and that's okay, but you have to be aware of it. And if you at least are aware of it and are considering that component, you're going to be a lot better off. And the last component, probably the biggest thing that as my aha moment, as I sat around, maybe you're sitting here wondering, why do I care about this? Is because something that ties in so, so, so well to using analytics in a company, to using data in a company, is that it's a mix of machine and human knowledge. That is the perfect example here. That is what they're trying to get people to consider, that AI has these incredible purposes, but that human touch shouldn't be completely discounted either. And there's so, so much truth to that, to applying data to your business. Not every formula and algorithm is going to spit out the right result every time. Again, it's math, it's science in a way. It's going to come out the way it's going to come out. But uh, when we talk about sports analytics, it's always great to know what the percentage likelihood is of winning the game if you go for it on this fourth down. But At the end of the day, you need that head coach who also understands the situation and realizes, who sees his defense on the sideline sucking wind and realizes, I got to go for this here because I need these guys to sit on the sideline and get a little bit more of a break. Or he looks in his quarterback eyes and realizes that the quarterback has no confidence right now um, based on that last pass or that last hit he took. And that even though the numbers say this, that's actually not in our best interest right here based on the variables I'm seeing you need people to consider all of these things. Consider the human input, consider the institutional knowledge that a company or a business or department may have, but also trust the data. It shouldn't be all one or the other. When you have those two things in perfect harmony, you're able to mix those, consider both of them. That is when you're going to find the sweet spot. And that is when you're going to have the most success. Thank you again to the folks over at the American Marketing Association and Harvard Business Review for their contributions uh, to let me talk about this today. Apologies to anyone out here who understands this stuff even better than I do, who thinks I just oversimplified it. I probably did, but that's okay. Hopefully some of you were able to really understand this. So until next time, this has been another episode of Diving Into Data. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye.